So during this series, we've said that um, when we watch a movie or we read a good book, we identify with the protagonist, the hero of the story. And in the Christmas story, of course, the hero is, is Jesus, the baby Jesus, but also Mary and Joseph. And there are other characters in the story that, that we can identify with if we're able to take the story seriously, which is difficult for some 21st century people. We, we live in a post-enlightenment age, and we, we tend to doubt miracles. And I'm not saying you should, or, um, but I'm saying just acknowledging that so many people do. And so it's difficult sometimes for you know, thinking people to read the Christmas story and get some kind of meaning out of it that, that applies to our lives. And, and our challenge here in this series is to read the Christmas story as thinking people and we say here, thinking people can take the Bible seriously. We believe that the Bible interpreted in its historical context can guide us, that God can speak through that, that, that smart, intelligent people can get meaning out of Scripture. And so that's what we're wanting to do with this, with this series, Your Christmas Story, to reread the Christmas story in its historical context. We've taken a little bit of a journey to uh, in, in the Holy Land, what is now Israel, and looked at some of the sites or these... Um, Stories are set, and, and we're going to do that again today. But the goal would be that we can, we can take it seriously in its historical context and then be able to find ourselves in it. You know that when you watch a good movie, you read a good book, you journey along with that character, and somehow by the end of the movie, there's some experience of catharsis, that you feel cleansed somehow. Maybe some things make more sense. It's, it's a journey of self-discovery as you go along and you journey with this, uh, with this character. So um, I'm, this is... Uh, fresh to me. Yesterday I watched this, The Rise of Skywalker. Who's seen the new Star Wars movie yet? You won't believe how it ends. Let me tell you about it, everybody. Um, yeah, can't believe they had Jar Jar Binks in the ending. Who, who expected that? Just kidding. No Jar Jar. And, and, um, and so watched Star, Star Wars yesterday with my son. Last night, Eddie Murphy was on SNL. He's getting ready to release a new Coming to America movie. Like, I'm waiting for Van Halen Jump to just start playing like it's 1984 all over again. And, and these stories like Star Wars or even you think of Eddie Murphy or, you know, things from the, the 70s and 80s. These stories are powerful and they just keep coming back again partly because of their familiarity to us. Because we're familiar with them. We know the characters. Think of all the superhero movies. You know, the Marvel movies and, and DC tries, but they can't quite, you know, compete with the, with the Marvel cinematic universe. And these are stories that have been around for a long time, and Hollywood knows that they're powerful because we're kind of familiar with them. And at the same time, there's a fresh take on Star Wars or on a Marvel character. And so we're able to, to, to have a familiar story, but also see it new again, uh, and it can speak to us. So that's what we're doing in this series. And today we're, we're rereading the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, late in Mary's pregnancy, when she and Joseph journeyed uh, to Bethlehem, and that's where she gave birth to the baby Jesus. This particular journey was a journey that they were forced to take. They didn't want to make this journey, especially Mary, being late in a pregnancy, did not want to make this journey, but they were forced by circumstances to take this journey. Not only that, this journey got worse before it got better. So if you think about your journey, maybe it's the journey of 2019, which has been a tough year for a lot of people in our church. Maybe it's, if you, if you look back over your journey for a long time, maybe there are times in, in your journey where you just weren't sure that you could make it. 
And then not only that, but it got worse before it got better. And we say things like, when it rains, it pours. And, and, and it, sometimes it just feels like things are, there's a pile on, you know, and, and things just get worse before we see anything get better. And so this is the kind of journey that they took. Let's read about that journey, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. That's the greatest king in Israel's history. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So Joseph and Mary remained in Nazareth for some period of time, and then Luke tells us that a census caused them to return to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem for taxation purposes. We don't know the route that they took. We're not sure about that, but they had a couple of choices, and one route is longer than the other. So my guess is, Mary being pregnant, she chose the shorter route. That's my guess. I would too if I were her. And that's called the route of the patriarchs, and it goes through Samaria. And in this time, Jewish people who lived in the area and the Samaritans uh, were cultural enemies. And there was a road that would go along the Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, and, and often Jews would take that route to bypass Samaria. Samaria is what's now uh, the West Bank in Palestine, and so there's still division there. But the shorter route was the road of the patriarchs, and I have a map uh, here that might uh, that shows the journey that I think they probably took from Nazareth, and then Sychar is a town in Samaria. And so perhaps they took this, this route through Samaria and then down to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just a, a suburb of Jerusalem, essentially, now. It would have been a little town outside of Jerusalem at that time. And I have some silent film footage uh, from Nazareth. This is what's called the Mount of Precipice from Luke chapter 4, where it's, it's on the edge of Nazareth. And if you look left, you see Mount Tabor. Now there's Tabor right in the center. Mount Tabor in the Old Testament is the site of a battle between Barak, Deborah, and Sisera. In the New Testament, Mount Tabor is the traditional site of the Transfiguration. And then this is the Jezreel Valley. It's a huge valley where two major trade routes crossed. Um, and um, the major route being the Via Maris or the Way of the Sea. And whatever nation controlled this valley controlled commerce in the Middle East. The, Israel is this narrow strip of land surrounded by desert. And if you control this valley that we're looking at right now, whether you're Egypt or whether you're the Assyrians or the Persian Empire, you controlled the Middle East. And so Israel's history is just being conquered over and over again. That valley that we saw there, uh, that footage was taken from a hill. And the hill is called Har Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. Har Megiddo, in English, it's Armageddon. And that hill... Um, is extremely important because it's the high place where if you can, if you can gain some kind of military um, strength, a build a fortress there, then you can control that valley. Megiddo is 11 miles across the valley from Nazareth. Uh, the current roads are built over the ancient roads. That may be the route that Mary and Joseph took. Um, there's an Egyptian record um, of a war in this valley 3,500 years ago with the Canaanite people. Har Megiddo has at least 77 layers of civilization. 
as one people after another conquered that. So growing up in Nazareth, Jesus would have been able to see that, along with his parents, obviously. And, and you wonder, you know, he looked at this place that, that represented continual conflict, journeys that people didn't want to take, events in their lives where they were defeated or, or overrun when they had hopes and dreams for a better life. And perhaps that taught him the, the importance of peace in the difficult journeys of life. By foot, this was a six or seven day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. For somebody who was walking, especially somebody who's pregnant, that's a 10 day journey. Imagine 10 days from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You can make that tour now if you want as a pilgrimage in the Holy Land. But one of the things, if we, if we look at the Christmas story and as thoughtful people interpreting it in the light of its historical context, one of the things we take away is, like Mary and Joseph, at least once in your life, probably more, but at least once in your life, you're going to take a journey that you don't want to take and that you're not sure you can finish. At least once, maybe more. There's going to be something you face. There's going to be some journey that you have to take that you don't want to take. And there are going to be times when you're not sure that you can finish that journey. Um, And then on the last day of their journey, after nine days of traveling, uh, through, you saw the green area there in the valley. This is what they encountered on the last day. How's that for hospitality, right? That's the Judean wilderness. And in the United States, we are some of the people who can kind of identify with this because there are places in Arizona that look like this, or Nevada. And on the last day of their journey, after it had already been difficult, this is what they encounter. My, my brother and, and uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law came up a few years ago um, once we first moved here, and, and uh, they're more athletic than I am. I took them to hike Camelback, and so we went to Echo Canyon and Camelback, and that's like the harder trail up Camelback. And what I didn't tell them, what you never want to tell anybody when you hike Camelback is it's hardest right before the top. Do you know what I'm talking about? It just gets steeper the closest you get to the top, and they were fine, but there are journeys that are like that where it just gets harder. At the very end, once you think the journey is already tough, then it gets even difficult. Perhaps you can identify that with that, maybe even in the Christmas season. Maybe the Christmas season is tough because we're supposed to feel you know, the warm fuzzies and, and, and we have all the, you know, the holiday trappings and, and warm family, friends, and all this kind of thing that we're supposed to feel around the, the holidays, and maybe you don't really feel that way. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe it's a difficult time for you, and that journey can feel difficult, uh, even more difficult, before it gets better. Now, I worked on this sermon in a coffee shop, and uh, one of the songs that came on was, So This Is Christmas by John Lennon. And there's a lyric there that goes, A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. It's an anti-war song. It's a song about division. It's a song about hardship. It's a song about a society having a difficult time. When, when society feels like this photo, maybe you personally feel like this photo, but there, there are times when the society feels like this photo. Would you agree that it seems like our society feels like this photo right now? The wilderness, a place that's rough, a place that's difficult, a place where you're, you're challenged and what you think and how you feel. And so there is a, there's a collective journey as well that we're all making this time of year that is difficult. Our country is in a difficult place. And real quick, I want to promo 
If you get my email or you've looked at social media, um, you know that we're starting a new series on January 5th. And we have an upcoming presidential election year here in 2020. And we're reminded that Americans seem to be as divided as ever, perhaps, and more divided every year, it seems. And there are many important issues that we face, but our political climate is making it difficult for, the, for us to address those issues and to handle them in a way that helps us to move forward as a country and, and get to a journey to a better place as a country. So in this series, coming up in January, we're going to be asking questions like, what does it mean for us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength as followers of Jesus in the political climate that we live in? That's the greatest commandment. Jesus said, you know, when somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's really difficult right now. For a lot of people, how do you how do you love people as yourself who voted differently than you, or who have a different political opinion that you have? And so we're going to ask questions like how do I, how do we understand our neighbors who vote differently than we do? And even when we're passionate about our own views, which we should be, that's a good thing. How does loving God and our neighbor influence the way we communicate with each other and the way that we organize society? We're not just doing fake both sides-ism in the series. That's not what we're doing. And at the same time, we're also not telling people how to vote. We're also not mocking people. We're going to seek to be fair. And so each week, I'm going to address a major issue facing our country here this upcoming election year. And our goal as as a congregation is going to be to model what it might look like to have a productive conversation around those issues. And so I'm going to present, best I can, fairly, two sides of an issue. My goal would be that both sides feel like they've been fairly heard, and then we'll take a look at Scripture, and then I'm going to humbly offer an opinion that's my best shot at interpreting the Bible and what that might mean for us as followers of Jesus around that particular issue. So here's the schedule. January 5th, we're going to talk about immigration. January 12th, gun control. January 19th, health care. 26th, wealth inequality and climate change. We're going to talk about those the same week because there is a connection. And then February 2nd, we're going to talk about abortion. And uh, so I encourage you to invite friends, encourage you to uh, invite family. Maybe, and I know this might be a stretch, and I realize this, I'm acknowledging this, maybe even family that disagrees with you. Because going into the holidays, for some of us, that's kind of a fear, isn't it? That we're going to have to have conversations when people bring things up, and maybe this is an opportunity to take a different approach. So let's watch the promo video for We Have Issues 2020. So your first question might be, is Ryan crazy to talk about these things? I just think that we can model a better way as followers of Jesus. And that's our goal in this series. So invite you to come back January 5th to check out We Have Issues 2020. It's meant to be a funny title, but we're going to take the topics uh, very seriously. So collectively, sometimes it feels like we're in the Judean wilderness, out in the desert. There's also a personal 
application. If we find ourselves in this Christmas story, that personally it can feel like even, even when the, the, the journey was already difficult, all of a sudden it gets harder. Maybe for you it involves loneliness or a broken relationship or making a, a marriage work or maybe it's financial anxiety around the holidays. Maybe it's career questions, it's some kind of a crisis. You've lost somebody or you've gotten bad news. There's, a, there's been a diagnosis, a health scare. Maybe it's pain from the past, abuse. There's a crisis of faith where you're not sure what you believe anymore and you, you have all these questions you don't know what to do with. And um, Maybe you're tired, yeah, of just the, the polarization in America and that's gotten, that's gotten to you and that's weighing on you. You know, Maybe you're dedicated to a cause and you're discouraged. Whatever it is, I... I, I picture Mary at points along this journey and certainly facing this, saying, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I can't go any farther. I, I've done all that I can do. I don't think any more is required of me. You know, why is this happening to me? For Mary and Joseph, once again, if we enter into this story, their dreams for their lives have been interrupted. Neither one of them planned this. And they had no choice but to adjust. And yet, in the, in the eyes of Christian history, yes, God was using this experience to do great things. But as a, as a young woman, Mary couldn't see that. And I imagine there were just times where she said, I just can't do this anymore. I've just had enough. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? How much more, how much more do you want? What do you want from me? I'm sure there were questions like that along the way. There's this passage in, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah about journeys that Mary and Joseph may have remembered during this time. In Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, uh, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Maybe when the journey was more difficult than they even thought it would be. Maybe there were verses like that that came to mind, and they knew that they were not alone. And maybe that helped them to take the next step. And so at least once, if not more, we're going to find ourselves taking a journey we don't really want to take. And then more than that, if we want to identify with these characters, one of the things we can, we can feel, I think, if we get into the story is the journey takes courage. And the reason for that is there is no narrator to tell you the outcome when you're in a difficult journey in your life. We're reading the Gospel of Luke. Luke's the narrator. Luke's like the voice that just comes on during the movie and describes how things are, you know, their thoughts or how things turn out. And We don't have a narrator, do we? When you're, when you're on your journey, you're facing whatever you're facing in life right now, there is no narrator telling you how it's going to play out or explaining things that you don't understand. We don't have a narrator. So journeying, whatever that looks like for you, it requires courage. We sang this song, Mary, Did You Know? And the answer to that really would be no. Mary, Mary did not know. She, she had prophecies. She, of course, she saw Jesus grow up. She would take another journey with him, perhaps 33, laters, uh, 33 years later, a journey to a Roman cross. But she did not know. Mary did not know that we would be talking about her in 2019. Mary might be the most common female name in the history of the world because so many people find her inspiring. But she didn't know that. She had no clue. She could not have imagined her wildest dreams, that her journey, her pain, her suffering would be an inspiration to millions of people. She didn't know that. 
You know, which begs the question, who among us here is going to be like world famous 2,000 years from now? Maybe you feel like you've been, you've been through enough. You're like, God, somehow this is going to inspire people someday, but maybe we can get your autograph now. But Mary, Mary didn't know that. She wasn't able to see that. She lived and died not seeing the end of the story, not hearing that narrator's voice. So if you're on a journey that's difficult, especially if you're coming to a place that looks like the Judean wilderness, it takes courage because we don't have all the answers. We can't see everything clearly. We don't have a narrator telling us how it's all going to play out. So I, I wanted to talk to somebody today uh, who, like many of us here, has had a tough 2019. And uh, Jackie Lefevers is one of our worship leaders here. Her husband, Matt, was playing guitar here. He's the worship director here. And, and um, I wanted to talk with her about her experience of the year and she immediately agreed that it takes courage to, to share her story and I want to give her a little bit of an introduction because she also writes and so there are a couple of reasons that I wanted her to, to speak during this your Christmas story series but Jackie's been writing creatively since her childhood she has a bachelor's degree in English literature a master's of liberal studies in nonfiction writing and enjoys writing all genres poetry lyrics fiction memoirs and screenplays her songs, along with her husband, Matt, have been published with Convergence Music Project and CCLI, and she's currently working on the launch of pathandpolaris.com, a website to share writings on faith, creativity, and the Bible. If you didn't know that, now you know. Pretty cool. So let's welcome up Jackie Lefevers right now. Come on up, Jackie. Let me give you a microphone. Bear with me here. I'm just uncoiling. making this as complicated as possible. Here we go. Jackie, I appreciate you being willing to share. Thank you. And uh, when I knew that you were, that you had agreed to come up and talk, that's when I put the point in about courage. So I, I know that it requires courage, and I appreciate you doing that, and everybody's going to appreciate it. First of all, to talk about writing real quick, um, because you're involved in some pretty cool things with writing, and we're talking about the power of stories here. What drew you towards writing in general, do you think? Um, well, I've been writing since my childhood, and um, I was an extremely anxious child. I was scared of everything, um, to the point where, um, you know, my mom's in the back, and to the point where if she got out of the car to fill up the vehicle with gas, I was scared. So it was a, a very stressful childhood, but as soon as I discovered writing, I, that was my safe place, and I could communicate. I could, I could tell stories that, that pulled me away from the anxiety, from the fear. And I was able to talk about my experience um, through the written word. And so that was, as a child, writing was really the only time that I felt safe. And that's continued through my adulthood in that I've, I've, I'm able to communicate better um, through that safe mode of communication. Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, I want to read more of your stuff. I've heard your songs. Now I want to read more of your stuff now. Um, we talked a little bit about the Christmas story as well and, and finding yourself in the Christmas story because we're in this series. Are you able to see yourself in parts of the Christmas story? Do they speak to you at all? Um, I wasn't really able to connect to the Christmas story uh, until a few years ago, actually. So growing up, kids, you know, they have the nice little narrative of Mary and Joseph, and that's a good story. But until I became a mom, 
that's when the connection really happened. Um, and so I remember singing Breath of Heaven uh, by Amy Grant when I was seven months pregnant. And being struck by how real those lyrics were of, I'm frightened by the load I bear. And I think it's a really, it's a very international and timeless feeling that every woman and every parent really can connect with is the fear and the excitement of becoming a parent. And it's just the slightest glimmer of what Mary must have felt. Um, in that, you know, she had the word of angels and the word of God telling her what was gonna happen. But it was still this enormous on-taking of becoming a mom. So that's when I first connected to it. Um, I think this year, I'm mainly, I feel the most connection to the Magi in that they were living in a time of conflict um, under the direction of Herod, who you spoke about a couple weeks ago. So it's a very stressful time. And they had this direction from Herod to go find the star, find the location of the star and what that meant. Um, and they were being very rebellious. So they went, but then they didn't return to Herod with the, the right directions. <laughs> um, so with, with the Magi, I think I connect to them this year in that it has been a very stressful time, but they saw a star and they pursued it because they saw it as something hopeful. And so I'm looking at 2020 as a time of hope that we need to pursue. That's brilliant. I totally should have thought of that before the series, and maybe, maybe you give that sermon next time. Excellent, excellent. Well, you shared a little bit about how you've identified the Christmas story a few years ago, um, now to 2019. Um, 2019's been a difficult year for you, um, and that's why, especially why, you know, I used the word courage, you know, when I wanted to invite you up here. Would you go ahead and share with us about your journey in 2019? So 2019 has been challenging for so many people, um, some more so than others, for a variety of reasons. For me and my family, it's been kind of a grab bag of everything. Um, it's been work stress stressors, financial stress, um, mental and physical issues, um, new challenges to parenthood, and it seemed like 2019 was an experience in all of that <laughs> for us. Um, so by the end of spring, um, I realized that I was, I was really, I wasn't processing it. And in fact, I had dipped into a depression to the point where I, I hadn't noticed that I had slipped into a depression, which hasn't happened in a few years. Um, but it was a disconnect from everything that I loved. And it was an apathy for that disconnect. Um, and so I have, I have a rule um, with three people that I trust very deeply. It's my two best friends and my husband in the back. That if one of them notices something in me and they suggest that I go to therapy, then I do it. So. I hadn't even noticed the disconnect and the apathy until one of my best friends called me on it. Um, and 
sticking to my rule, I contacted my counselor and um, I started in on therapy again. So, and I was able to get myself back up to a good mental place through therapy. And that was in the first part of the year. That was the first part of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and then the 2019 just kept on going. Yes. And would you, would you uh, be willing to share about the rest of 2019? So at the end of September, Matt and I found out that I was pregnant. Um, and we were incredibly happy for about four days. And then it became apparent that um, something was wrong with the pregnancy. We thought it was a miscarriage. And um, for a long time, we thought it was a miscarriage, but it just kept happening. And so for weeks and weeks and weeks, I was into the doctor's office multiple times a week, uh, getting multiple blood draws each time, trying to figure out what was happening. Um, I had symptoms of a miscarriage, but the pregnancy hormones continued to rise. The ultrasounds didn't show anything. So it was, it was a very confusing time in that I had both the symptoms of a pregnancy and the symptoms of a loss at the same time for an extremely long period of time. Um, and so they finally, the symptoms finally subsided and they diagnosed a miscarriage. And then a week later, they started again. <laughs> so um, I was back into a flurry of appointments, ultrasounds, and they were able to find um, an ectopic pregnancy. So ectopic pregnancy is when um, a fertilized egg implants somewhere outside the uterus. So the, the only place that a pregnancy can properly develop is inside. And um, an ectopic pregnancy, it's not sustainable. So the, the fertilized egg can grow and develop to a certain point, but there's, there's no way for it to um, fully develop into, into a baby. Um, so with, and they're very rare, by the way. So this is not a common issue. You don't have to be frightened of it. Um, it's, it's, I think it's less than 100,000 reported each year by the CDC. But they can be deadly to the mother if they're not treated. Um, so with the ectopic pregnancy, I was um, sent to the hospital now that we finally knew what was happening. And uh, the way that they're normally treated is through methyltrexate shots, which is a chemotherapy drug. And it's meant to dissolve the pregnancy. So um, I did two shots of that, was incredibly sick, as you might imagine. And, but we thought that was the end of it. Um, but it wasn't. <laughs> so um, after I had recovered from the methyltrexate treatment, um, it was a Saturday morning, about 4.30 in the morning, and I woke up in just an insane amount of pain. Um, and my incredibly patient husband, it took him half an hour for him to convince me that I needed to go to the hospital. I kept telling him, no, it'll go away. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm not able to move. <laughs> um, but he convinced me that we need to go to the hospital. I get there and they tell me that um, the fallopian tube has burst. The methyltrexate sh shots did not work. Um, I now had severe internal bleeding. 
um, that filled my abdomen. And as time in the hospital progressed, the internal bleeding um, moved under my right lung. So it became difficult to breathe and painful to breathe, even with the morphine in my system. So um, I ended up going in for emergency surgery. They removed the um, ruptured fallopian tube. They cleared out the internal bleeding. And that was the end of that chapter. And as anybody would imagine, that's, that, that's an emotional roller coaster. Um, and how did you deal with that emotionally and spiritually, if you would care to share? So during the, the period of time where we didn't really know what was going on, um, I went where I was told. The doctors, I was working with a team of four doctors, and basically anything they told me to do, I did and I tried not to think. I just did what they told me to do because the, my main takeaway from what they told me is don't give up hope. We don't know what's happening yet, so don't give up hope. And so it was almost three months of me trying to keep hope at arm's length while also experiencing cycles of grief. Um, I didn't wanna let that child go but all signs pointed toward a loss. So it was a very, um, it was a very structured time emotionally of I had a lot of walls up and I focused on what the doctors told me to do and nothing else. And I only thought about the very next thing that they needed me to do. Um, and so after the surgery, there was nothing else that could happen and so I was able to really process it and to give myself permission to feel all of the emotions. And I, I did not know that someone could feel so many emotions at the exact same time. Um, it was aftershock. It was aftershock of, of anger and sadness and relief and hope and bitterness and just, if you name an emotion, I was experiencing it at the exact same time. So I didn't know what to do with that. It's, it's overwhelming to feel so many emotions at the exact same time. Um, so I went back to therapy, um, which has always helped me kind of work through everything. Um, but even then, I was, I didn't know what to do with all of these emotions as how it related to my faith and my connection to God. And I was extremely angry by that. I was angry at God even though I recognized that this is not God doing it. I was not being punished, but I was angry. And I, in regards to my, my faith, I did not want to start that conversation with God. And so I had a choice. Um, I could back away from my faith and just kind of deal with the everyday part of life. Um, or I could really lean into everything that I was feeling and put it in the same room as God. And so I opted for the latter. I, 
I wanted to continue being a part of a community. I wanted to continue having the comfort of faith. Um, and so I, even though my instinct told me to back away from God, I picked up a book of daily prayers of Thanksgiving, um, and I forced myself to say them. And mainly because I didn't know what to say to God, I just said, we're, we're going to talk, but I don't have the words. So this book is going to be my guide, and it's gonna be a book of Thanksgiving. I also picked up a book um, called Following Jesus by Henry Nouwen. And he, it's a really fantastic book, but he writes about recalibrating your faith in times of heartbreak and anxiety and depression. And it's one of, I mean, there are many nuggets that, that I pulled from that, but one of the things that he said that really struck a chord was the fruits of grief and allowing yourself the necessary time to feel the fruits of grief and all of the emotions that those are and letting them develop and letting them grow. Um, and so that really struck me. I, I challenged myself to be honest with my friends and family when they asked me how I was doing. I was honest with my coworkers when they asked how I was doing. And I gave myself permission to grieve for as long as it would take. So, um, eventually, many of the emotions became quieter. And as I continued my prayers of thanksgiving, as I continued reading through these sermons by Henry Nouwen, I, I began to feel peace. I never achieved understanding, but I did achieve peace. Thank you for sharing all that. And I, several weeks ago when I emailed and asked you if you'd be willing to share and you instantly agreed, which I appreciate very much. And the reason that I asked you if you would be willing to share is because I know that you're somebody who can think through, sort through, feel, and at the same time, you're not somebody who has to, think, has to pretend that you have all the answers and that you have the ability to go through life not seeing everything clearly and navigate your way. And that takes courage and it takes strength. And I appreciate you sharing that today. Can we thank Jackie? It's great. It's awesome. And even though we can't see clearly, um, what we have to hold on to is that there is some hope that our suffering, our pain in a difficult journey can be redeemed, that something good can come out of that. And there may be many things that come out of your experience, Jackie, but one of them was what you just said right here, because you shared your own experience honestly, and for all of us here and whoever will hear this in the future, you've heard a strong woman face life with courage and articulate that, and as a person of faith, say that in a way that uh, acknowledges the truth of life, that we're not going to be able to see everything clearly. We don't have answers that we would like to have. You know, metaphysical explanations for why things 
happen the way they do. Mary did not have a narrator telling her how her journey would end, but she did have some hope that, I'm going to end with this, some hope that her suffering could be redeemed for a good purpose, and you can have that hope as well. We can. So Luke tells us, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The word Savior in the Bible means deliverer, somebody who rescues you, somebody who delivers you from something, somebody who can lead you on a journey toward, toward being whole again. You've been broken by pain, something has happened to you, and now to be saved is to go on this journey of, of, of being rescued and being made whole. And the entire story of the scripture, and this story certainly, is one of God entering into people's experiences, their difficult journeys, and in ways that can be surprising, shocking even. A twist in the plot can bring some kind of good out of a horrible experience, can redeem suffering and bring something good out of it. It doesn't mean that that makes everything okay, not by a long shot. But the story that we have, the big story of Scripture is that God enters in and can redeem our suffering. If you've known me for any amount of time, you've probably heard me talk about our friends, um, Rhonda and Jeremy Taylor. They lived in Columbus, Ohio. There's a picture of them, and, and uh, that's where Hannah and I moved from when we came here. And uh, that statue actually is, is a statue of their little boy, Gabriel, which is the name of the angel, by the way, who announced to Mary. But... Their little boy's name was Gabriel, and uh, he had a two-year battle with cancer from ages four to six, and he passed away on December 30th, 2011. And we were part of this excruciating journey, you know, at Children's Hospital with Rhonda and Jeremy and with this little boy, and I officiated his funeral um, right before we moved here. And so that was a major experience in our lives, and even... Our approach to faith and church was somewhat informed by that. And that loss, and this is heavy, it's already been a heavy service, but this is about difficult journeys. One of my memories is being in the hospital room as he was moments away from passing away, and both, sorry, both of them sitting on his bed, and the, the nurse looked at me and and. She kind of shooed me, which I was fine. <laughs> and I backed out, of the, backed out of the doorway. And it was probably a minute. And uh, the nurse said, you can come back in. And he had passed. And seeing them face that kind of a Judean wilderness, you know, brought me face to face with my ultimate fear. And you don't have to, of course, we're, we're an inclusive church. There are all kinds of people here. You don't have to be a parent to identify with this. Whatever your worst fear is, you, know, you lose that. It's the hell of hells. And over the weeks um, between his passing and then when we moved here, I met with, with uh, Rhonda and Jeremy and had the privilege of talking with them. And I remember, I think it was a breakfast that I had with Jeremy. I can't remember what meal it was, but um, I remember talking with him. And this, this is a guy who just who's lost his son. His kid was super smart, Gabriel. He's probably gonna, his, Jeremy's an infectious disease specialist. His kid was probably going to grow up to be a doctor. And I remember looking at Jeremy and just seeing his eyes. He's just hollow with grief and moist with tears. And he's in this state of shock and grieving. But there was something else. There was something else in his eyes as I looked at, at him across the table. 
And he started telling me about uh, this charity called A Kid Again. She's kind of like Make-A-Wish. But A Kid Again had sent him on a trip. And that statue is actually at King's Island, the amusement park in, uh, in Ohio. Um, and uh, because they partnered with A Kid Again to honor him. But Jeremy decided, I am going to do everything I can to make sure that the memory of my little boy benefits this organization, A Kid Again. He's like, I'm going to organize a golf tournament. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, and he just started, you know, with a fury spinning out these creative ideas uh, as ways to honor his son and that his son's suffering would be redeemed by being a blessing to other kids. And then, of course, their parents as well. So out of his greatest pain came his greatest passion. And so now these guys just went wild, promoting a kid again and standing by families who are experiencing losses like this, the worst thing imaginable. They've dedicated their lives to it. And I just went through his Facebook feed a few nights ago and just went back half the year. And I just wanted to show you some pictures from his, uh, this is from Jeremy's Facebook page. So this is August 25th. Somebody else actually posted this, but happy to volunteer for a kid again and help these lovely gentlemen get their skirts on. Jeremy Taylor and Rhonda Taylor. So the guys are wearing skirts to play golf for the Memorial Golf Tournament, I guess. Let's go to the next one. That's August. Uh, this is the Gabriel Paul Taylor Memorial Golf Outing. That's the trophy. They're benefiting a kid again, having fun and giving to a good cause. Somebody else posted that on his page, and there's more here. That was August 2, I think. Uh, this table, there's the, the trophy. Here's to you, Gabriel, a kid again, Central Ohio. And I love that tablecloth. That's a picture of Gabriel there. Hope lives in me. How great is that? We've got some more. This is, uh, okay, Philadelphia, Philadelphia is launching a chapter. Jeremy posted this in September, so he's involved in this Philadelphia launch of a kid again. Um, here's October. I always enjoy participating and volunteering for this event. It's at Magic Mountain, Polaris. It's a little golf place. What's, what else? Check this out. If you're looking for a really fun date night for, a main, uh, for an amazing cause, join us for Martinis and Magic. And uh, that's for a kid again. And then another, uh, just a, a fundraising appeal. And then I think there's more. That's the last one I put on there because I love that, uh, that tablecloth. There was another one where it was like recently the 12 bars of Christmas. And so they're, they're, they're going to like, they're going bar hopping essentially and inviting adults to go bar hopping and part of their tab ends up benefiting a kid again. So it's like a good cause and drinking around the holidays. It's like, it's a brilliant strategy. And look how this is, this isn't all of his posts. And that's just from August. These are people that have dedicated their lives to this. I mean, what I could see in his eyes as he was grieving, I could see a fire in his soul. That what's happened to us and what's happened to my son, it's, it's going to be redeemed. And that hope is going to be given to other people. That's why I love that, that, that banner there, that tablecloth. Hope lives in me. And so when you face this difficult journey, and there is no narrator giving us all the answers, telling us how it's all going to work out, telling us you know, how it all works out metaphysically and even how to grieve or how long that's going to last. There's no narrator. What we do have 
if we choose it in the Christmas story is that we have hope that God can redeem that. That our pain, our experience can be saved. We can be saved. We can be rescued. We can get on a journey towards being made whole. But that our suffering can be redeemed as well. And goodness can come out of that. Goodness that we never even imagined. And, and hope can live in us. So, what is your difficult journey? Are you at a place now where you, you feel like it's getting worse? Or you're facing the Judean wilderness. If you're not right now, God bless you. You probably will be at that place at some point in the future. We all will. And in that time, courage is required because we don't have a narrator like Luke telling us how it's all going to turn out. What we do have is hope that there's a savior, that can we, we can be made whole, that we can make the choice, that our suffering can be redeemed, that goodness can come out of it. And we can have this, uh, this, this motto, hope lives in me.